If you would remain standing and read with us as we read today's scripture. And you can read with me, please. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is from John 1, 14 through 18, the word of our Lord. You can be seated. morning. <clears throat> Merry Christmas to you and welcome in the house of the Lord today. We're so glad to have you with us today. A few questions, I guess the kids are gone, but what is one of the aspects of Christmas that you enjoyed the most growing up? Anyone? Presents. Presents? Oh, presents, yeah. <clears throat> presents. Christmas Eve service, cookies. Family, Christmas carols. Christmas carols, okay. Bread, Bread. Friends. friends, okay. Friends. friends, anyone else? Christmas music. Christmas music, okay. Well, there's a couple of things we have to talk before we start our passage, and one is the word mystery. <clears throat> it's beautiful for me. To watch in children, in youth, and adults when they encounter a mystery. For young kids, the first time they see a flashing light, wow, you know, it's something of a big deal to them. I remember my son when he could read for the first time, he's like, oh, grandma, he can read, he can read. Uh, you know, there's certain things that uh, amaze people and are mysterious how he can put a word with letters. And at what level we are from being a very young person to being a very old person, uh, mysteries of life will continue to happen. But they kind of get less and less. And the ones that still stay as mysteries, they ought to get greater and greater. I remember being in college in La Jolla in San Diego and walking one evening by the beach to pray with a, uh, with a couple of friends from a 20-something uh, group that I was leading. And we're looking uh, at the ocean, and once of a sudden, this green flames of light are all over the shores. Um, you know, it's not that warm. It wasn't the right time. It wasn't summer to go in. We said, that's it. We're going to go swim. So we ran down Black's Beach and uh, 
Thank God it was at night because that's usually a nude, nude beach, so you don't want to go and pray at a nude beach. <clears throat> so no one was around there. And we run down the, the, the beach, and we're swimming in this cold water. It was six, between 60, 65, so it's pretty cold. But it was amazing. You, you would go down, and you could see under the sea everything. Like, it was light in the water, but outside it was very dark. And the waves were crashing, and they would look green, and you would throw up water up, and all these green splashes, and all the water pebbles on you were all green. And uh, you, we were in awe of God's creation with how, how wonderful this is. But being in college, soon enough, I go home, and I research, and it's nothing but red algae bacteria, and it was pretty bad for you to swim during this time. <laughs> so it reduced the event to nothing. Actually, it was detrimental to our health. We had to be on a lookout now for bad things to happen to our health. Uh, we want to be careful for the next couple of days. And thank God I didn't drink any water, uh, so I think I was okay. We think we are okay. But there's something different when science cannot come into play with you. There's a mystery of the fact that you and I are constantly at war. There's a war in the spiritual realm that's affecting us. There's a war waged in your body because you have flesh and you have a spirit. As I reduce that wonderful mystery of the waves to red algae bacteria, when you reduce things into this world, sin and spiritual warfare is what happens. You have broken relationships. You have broken homes. You have things that happen to you. You wonder why. Why is this happening in the world? Why is this happening to me? How come I'm going through this? I hate to break it down to you, but it's very simple. It's happening because you're in sin. It's happening because we live in a sinful world. It's happening because there's a war that you and I are oblivious to. And just like you're in the ocean swimming and you think it's great, it's a dangerous place. It's a very dangerous place. <coughs> Things are happening to you. You're in a certain place. It's a dangerous place. And the danger, you don't have to go very far. The danger is right here. It has afflicted your flesh. It is trying to pollute you from this world. And it is trying to attack you from the spirit realm where Satan dwells and, you know, functions. So now we can begin to approach John, the beloved. You know, you would not expect the, the beloved disciple. You know, you, th you would think, oh, it would be John who will tell us the great story about the mages, or Mary, or Joseph. 
But when you look at the creation, he doesn't even need Mary and Joseph. When you look at the Christmas stories in the book of John, he's saying, let's look at the bacteria. Let's eliminate all the noise, all the beautiful things, all the songs, all the friends, all the family, all of the Mary, all of everything. And let's move from our sick place, which was approaching in its beauty with everything that happened. And let's reduce it down to the very core truth of being God-centric and not having to do much with humanity. As we look at the title, we look at Matthew, we look at Mark, we look at Luke, and we say Christmas is about the birth of Jesus. When we look at John, there's no birth. What is John telling us that really has happened? So that is an incarnation. Now, which one is it? Birth or incarnation? To us as humans, it's a birth. But if you were to be an angel standing right next to God, how can the eternal pre-existing son of God be birthed? So it's an incarnation. It's the same thing as I'm walking around in rebellion and I hear the gospel and the gospel of God invades me and convicts me of my sin. And I know that grace has come upon me. So I know that grace comes first because I'm so selfish and human-centered and that is my experience and that's what I'm telling you. It's first. But when I'm in heaven... Uh, with the Lord and I look down and say oh look at all those sinful wicked people down there they deserve hell and to die and then his heart of mercy says no I will send them a gift that they don't deserve I will send them a salvation so now if you're centered in heaven you say mercy is first not grace the merciful heart of God expressed itself through grace to us so many times people and theologians argue and have different takes because in their thinking and in their approach, they're either centered on God or they're either centered on self and humanity. And in three of the Gospels, the Lord came into our realm and gave us a beautiful story about the birth of Jesus Christ. But let's watch the slide before we begin this book.
trick not to have to do an introduction of about 13 verses they would take a couple of weeks to introduce so this is how we have come to verse 14 but it tells us in verse 11 they came to his own but his own did not receive him let me ask you today Is it a mystery that I, as a pastor, could hate Christmas? You know, it's one of my most dreadful times of the year. Because what I see in the world, what I see in the church, is a lot of noise in the darkness to snuffle what truly Christmas is. There's a reason why God ordained in this gospel to leave out all the other noise that's so beautiful in the other gospels out. You know, we sang that song by Charles Wesley, Hard the Herald, Hard the Herald Angels Sing. It's one of the greatest songs ever written. Christmas makes it possible for you and I to have Christ alive in us. Christmas should be a time of worship. If Christ is within us, He should make us jump in exaltation and praise like the angels who came down. Because now... 
You are no longer a stupid college person who says, wow, green flames. Let me go jump in. Now, you are transported from being self-centered, human-centered, into being God-centric. And uniting the eternal presence into here and now. Christmas says, you and I are a taste of the kingdom of God. And the word, logos, people, you know, were asking me, well, where's the Holy Spirit? Please take your hand. Say logos. Put it next to your mouth. Logos. And the word was with God and the word was God. We understand that the word refers to Jesus. We understand who God is. Where's, where's the Holy Spirit in all of this? Logos. Can you say logos without the breath? Breath, spirit, ghost is the same word. The Holy Spirit is present there. And the word logos became flesh. Now, for us who are called to worship, I'm glad you answer. You should go down and you say, I need to attack Christmas. I need to salvage Christ Christmas. Because some of the things that I really like about Christmas can impede when I reduce down Christmas to the true reality of Christmas. It can stand in my way of truly celebrating Christmas, which, by the way, it's a daily event. That's why we didn't celebrate Christmas for so long. Two-thirds to 75% chance scholars, you know, take a guess that he was born sometime in April. And about another third of the scholar guess that he's sometimes late August, early September. You ask me, why do we celebrate in December? Yeah, historically, we wanted to shut down an evil celebration in Europe. So the church wanted to celebrate Christmas on that very day to snuff out. Again, it shows that it is spiritual warfare, the turmoil that is at hand. This mystery of the word becoming flesh. God is unchanging. How can he become something? How can the consistent, infinite, unchanging God become flesh and actually become, can even use the word become. That's why it is a mystery. That's why Philippians tries to help us out. He humbled himself. He laid aside part of who he is to come into our midst. Now let me tell you about our condition it is, a good, is it a good condition that God had to humble himself to come to us? Or is it probably not a good condition that he had to do that? What do you think? It's probably not a good condition. Right? When Moses said, 
I want to see you, Lord. Says, what did God tell him? You can't see me and live. Any of you want to see God? You too, too, Eddie? Yeah? Really? Yeah, so Moses is not the only one. Yeah. So God says, I will hide you behind this rock, and when I'll pass by, I'll call out to you so you can see the tail end of my glory. And that was a beautiful event, right? Because it reminds me of my stupidity, which tells me that, you know, Moses was stupid too. Because <laughs> his face started glowing like the ocean that I saw. So people freaked out because he thought he was like an alien and got scared of him and said, oh, we don't want to see you, so cover up your face. But that's Christmas, guys. He came to his own. He saw God and the faint radiance of the presence of God. And what was the people's response? Oh, go away. You, you he was probably irradiated by the Shekinah glory of God. And in the sinful flesh, I'm trying to explain by science, which doesn't work. Uh, he glowed like an alien. Fluorescent right radiated out of his face. Who knows what his eyes look like? So you, you may say, wow. Some people say, well, that must be a demon. <clears throat> now I realize that we had a beautiful thing here. Loved watching the kids. Now I realize how selfish we are because Christmas is more about us going out and people see that there's radiance. Radiance. Became flesh and dwelt. It says that he pitched his tent. He pitched his tent among us. Now, I don't know if you understand that. If someone comes to visit you, knocks at your door, and you don't like them, there's many ways that we can make them feel unwelcome. And, you know, what kind of God, knowing that we would unwelcome, we would be very unwelcoming to him, would pitch his tent in our midst? And we have seen his glory, glory as though of the only Son. Where is the glory of Jesus for you and I shown? Any Christians in the room? <clears throat> Excuse me. In the cross, who said the cross? Oh. See, guys. The beauty about God is that those things we know by experience that we have in a relationship with Jesus, they don't have to be mental knowledge. 
the glory of God is revealed through me as he takes my sin and your sin and the sin of every redeemed on the cross. The father turns his face away from him, dies for you and I on our behalf, but comes back to life again. The glory of God rising from the ashes of death. From the grip, breaking the grip of sin. And rising from the captivity of death. And how do I know that? Because that's what I proclaim when I get water baptized. So that's why I thought all of you who are baptized in water know that. Because when you come out of the water, that's what you tell the people. That you now live in the resurrected life of Christ. And therefore you have seen his glory. So That's why I got to keep you honest. That's why I ask those questions. So be ready because I'll be asking questions. I'm not here just to hear myself preach. I'm not here to come in eloquence of speech. Glorious of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, remember I told you about mercy and grace. Scholars argue it's just a place of position. When you will be reading Psalms, you will see that it says mercy and truth. Mercy and grace, they're from the same piece of cloth. They're from the same DNA, spiritual DNA of the Father. Be wise. Don't argue about grace and mercy. Grace. What does grace remind us of? Two things. It's an undeserved gift. Something that you don't deserve has been given to you. And the other aspect which now modern Greek takes, that it's beauty or charm. It is what? His mercy that brought me to repentance. If it is this mercy and this love of Jesus and God portrayed for you and I, Jesus brought what? He was full of grace and truth. He would beg the question, how do you define truth? Shouldn't there be truth first, not grace? Why is grace first and then truth? There's no truth where you and I live, guys. There's no such thing. Because <clears throat> if I take Jeremy and he jumps and I say, oh, he has this much of a vertical... And then I take him in a space shuttle and I go to the moon and on the moon he can dunk. Not here. I'm just kidding. Maybe he can dunk, but not, not here. No. Maybe he's very athletic, right? But even that measurement is wrong. In this passing world, everything is relative. 
Even you, when you look in your mirror from year to year, you don't look the same. Hair gets whiter, skin gets wrinkler, sometimes the belly grows. A lot of things change. Grace, it's paving the way for you and I to be able to interact with truth. <clears throat> truth is not something abstract. Because Jesus embodies truth. Truth is something that by grace, the fog is removed so we mentally know it. By grace, we can now accept it with our heart. And by grace, we can live it out. Let me remind you again, there's three aspects of truth. And don't forget them. Otherwise, it is not truth. Mental knowledge of truth. Receiving and accepting it with the heart and being it seen in action in life. That is when the cycle of truth is completed. That is when you and I have a foundation. You say, well, pastor, if I memorize the entire Bible, isn't that good enough? That's a lot of truth. If I come here and I dance and I cry and I jump and I do, and I show how much I'm involved. No, that's not enough. That is not enough. That's why truth had to be embodied. That's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you know what happens with most people who are not close to the Lord? They know about the Lord. They may even have some feelings of like or dislike with the Lord. They may even sense the spiritual warfare and why things are happening and it provokes them to a certain state. And it's Mostly because the warfare is for them not to live in a holy life that truth propels forward. That is the problem. But because we have shame, we try to hide those things. You know, and I try to walk with people and, you know, talk to them. I try to get close to them and say, hey, I want to get to know you. And their guard is up as if I don't know humanity, that we're sinful. And if I don't know how truth works and how evil the flesh is and the enemy, it's very simple. Jesus Christ reveals this to you about all of us. Usually the harder you try to hide your sin, the easier, the, the, the more apparent it is. Because it tells me it has a hold on your life. But Jesus says, I did not come to condemn. This is not the time of condemnation. 
I have to warn you, there will be a time of condemnation and judgment and it's coming. And that's why we're preaching a message of love now. But also we got to warn you that judgment is coming. Jesus will come a second time to judge. We don't want to pass over that. As we move forward, guess what happens? John. Again, don't try to think too much. Who's John the Baptist? Cousin, six months older. Bore witness about him and cried out. But think about the context. Where is John from? The darkness. The darkness. There is now a testimony from the darkness. Isn't that encouraging for you and I? Hey, he can give a testimony. So can I. So can I. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Now you may say he was crazy. Why would you say he's crazy? He is six months older. <clears throat> well, Jesus goes even further to say, in the midst of the temple, remember he pitched his tent? I got to say the Shekinah glory of God now is with Jesus, not with the temple. Inside the temple, he says, before Abraham was, I am. A great passage. If you have Mormons, if you have Jehovah Witnesses who don't understand the gospel of John, who have been fooled by the enemy and who say what? Jesus is the brother of Satan, just a created archangel. He uses the great I am. But if Jesus pitched his tent in this gospel, how would he approach you in the I am statements? My questions to you and I is to say, Christmas, the word became flesh, is also an invitation to step into his tent. Do I know Jesus as the way, the truth, the life? As the resurrection and life. As the good shepherd. As the bread of life. As living water. I am. Those I am statements are for presence that you and I need to experience to give witness. Like I said... We snuff out Christmas. We'll even put a carol, because we like songs, a carol, and we sing about that. We'll have children's play. We'll give gifts. We'll do everything. Do you see why I get depressed as a pastor on Christmas? I don't like Christmas. Because we're trying to do everything in our part to snuff the true reality of what Christmas is. Where it should be we need to go out. We, we should come here to pray. Uh, yeah, you like songs? Let's go carol, everyone. Let's proclaim the truth. Why? Because I stand in the tent with Jesus. And I want that Jesus to be seen, to glow through me, and for me to proclaim it, at the very least. 
Let me repeat to you. John the Baptist. He knew it. He withdrew with his life. And he lived it and proclaimed it. He accepted it. He's one that shows us what it means to be a Christian before Christians were around. You and I have to be Christians in the same way. We cannot replace that. From his fullness, we have all received. <clears throat> From his fullness, we have all received. You know what's happened to me over the years with Christmases? Do you know what the effect of Christmas has had over me? I stopped asking for things. When Christmas began to grow and grow in my life, I realized after a few years, God, really what I do need in my life is your Holy Spirit. This body will fail. I know that. There's a time that's appointed for us to leave. Yeah, do I want a nice house? I can be like one of those pastors who say, I want a jet. Can you buy me a jet? No. A Lamborghini then? No. It's pretty good on ice. No, really, have you come to this place to realize that the closer you are to his presence, the less things you'll need. You know what happens? Your prayers will, will turn more into praise and thanksgiving. But I'm sick. But I'm dying. But I'm lonely. Yeah, we need Christmas. You need Christmas. There's no doubt about it. I don't have a family. You, know, you need Christmas. He pitched his tent. Many people know that there's a tent there and they sit outside the tent and they complain and they're angry with God and they don't like what's happening when the reality is, is all that they need to do is to Step in. Step in. But you know what happens before they step in? They need to surrender. And they're still so much involved with self that they have lots of excuses. There's many that you may know right now who are home instead of here. It's simply very clear. They have not stepped into the tent. It is not enough to know about the tent. That's where fullness comes in. That's why we see Paul made an example to me his suffering... He's doing ministry like no other. And he's saying, Lord, please heal me. Please heal me. 
Three times I have inquired of the Lord. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. Now one of the greatest missionaries and apostles that wrote most of the New Testament for us, moved by the Holy Spirit, why would God keep him in a sick condition to minister? Huh. Guess what happens? I'm sick. I don't like it. But when you're sick and you don't like it and you're, you're struggling, it makes it easy for you to say, you need to be in the tent. It's a reminder that you need to be in the tent. Even someone like him had to have a reminder. Circumstances feed self. Don't think you need to change churches. Don't think you need to change marriages. Don't think you need to change anything. You're already trapped outside of the tent if that's where the enemy has you. Life is inside the tent. Have you brought your wife into that tent? Your husband? Your kids? Into that tent? You know what happens when Christmas comes? It'll be a house of worship. It'll be a house of worship. That's where you receive. Grace upon grace doesn't make sense to us. But there's a fountain of grace that is so vast that all the sin and the misery of this world cannot quench. I, for one, I'm glad. I hope you are too. For the law was given through Moses. The law, why is the law brought? It's speaking to us about this tent. There's still people in the church who are guided by the law. Law governs life. Well, I don't know what kind of songs you prepare, but they're not all hymns, and you're in a Baptist church. And for people in Baptist churches, they like hymns. And you didn't wear green. <laughs> and it's Christmas. And nobody here has a Santa hat either. The law was given through Moses, but the law and Moses were separate. Here's the beautiful grace and truth came through Jesus. The beauty of the word become flesh. You cannot separate grace and truth from Jesus Christ. The law had a purpose. It showed us they were sinners. The prophets gave us a future hope and an answer. Jesus embodied what the law and the prophets spoke about. 
That is grace and truth embodied in him. Grace upon grace, I, I, I'm struggling with this to, to make sense of it in the English language and how we understand the spiritual concept. But I, I got to tell you experientially how I see grace upon grace, not only dealing with our struggle in life, but is the more you know Jesus Christ and God, the more you begin to go from one wonder to another. the more you are overwhelmed by the wonder that exists in God. And that is a beautiful journey that Jesus has prepared for each one of us as we enter into his tent. Grace seeks to answer the love of God. When you receive grace, it requires an answer. What is the answer of love? We, we spoke about last night. What, do you, what happens when you know you're loved? What is your response? Joy. So how does... Grace is being expressed through you. When you're loved, when you don't need anything, because you have him. What did Jesus do? He gave. He gave. He gave everything. That's why he can ask you, can you give everything sometimes? Has he asked someone to give everything? I remember pastoring in church. He says, oh, God knows better than that. He will never ask me to give everything. I met a poor pastor. And I don't know why you call him poor. Three times God asked him to give him everything he had. And he's still very wealthy. I guess God gave him back somehow. He has a good deposit, bank account. And the economy in the heavens is pretty good. Three times in his life. Imagine going home to your wife saying, Ah, we're building a seminary in India. I think we should take our money and give it there. Well, how much? Well, all of it. What? What about our retirement? What about gifts for Christmas? Seek to answer the love of God modeled by his spirit of truth and the word of God is Jesus. And he says, follow me. Grace is the ability to begin to follow Jesus. If you have that grace, you're living Christmas. You'll be asking me, Pastor, why are we celebrating Christmas? Christmas is every day for me. I celebrate it every day. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, 
He has made him known. <clears throat> Moses literally glowed. Here's my, it's not mine, my expectancy. Here's my truth that I gather from scriptures. Each of us are glowing. Glow first comes from a life of holiness. But people who are centered on self begin to put drapes and walls. Well, I kind of want this. I like this. I need to get out of this marriage, get to that one. There's a lot of things that we begin to do. There's a lot of things that the world begins to do. There are a lot of things that the enemy, spiritual warfare, begins to do. And now there's shades and walls and barriers. And we have to go. I saw some glimpse of light. Truth exposes us to such a beautiful end that the dark things and the shades in your life can be used in as a testimony to other people's lives. I want to give you grace today in the name of Jesus to go to the cross of His glory and hear Him say, I not only took away your sin, but I also took away your shame. Don't let the enemy hold that shame to bring those things into the light so he can put your broken pieces together and be a minister to others who are kept captive by shame and sin. Now that's a message for Christmas. You walk into his tent, you need his glory. It's his grace that says, come, and it is his truth that will sanctify you and make you shine. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. The meaning of Christmas. Well, Pastor, you didn't talk about the shepherds and but they came to worship. All of those guys came to worship Jesus. But we have reduced by the gospel of John Christmas for you and I. And that is now the expectancy. And that's why we're reading through scripture because the Lord prayed. He said, Lord, as I'm coming to you, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. We're reading through God's word. And as you come, you're not just eating, reading God's word. You're bringing your soul. And God's word is going to reveal it. And guess what? You're going to come here on Wednesdays and begin to share how that truth is sanctifying and moving you and equipping you and changing you and doing all that. And guess what? Now the fellowship won't just be eating food together. But it'll be a fellowship of how... The potter's hands are on your life working. How about that? 
Sounds good? I can't wait to see that, to hear you. Please take a, 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 you know, a reading guide from there. Two years, so it's not that bad. We used to do it in one year, but I said, uh, you know, let's take it slow and more meaningful. Not that it ever is not meaningful, but let's bow our heads and pray for today. <coughs> Father, we thank you, Lord. That just as sin, we can't go far from being embodied in us. Lord, we can't go that far at all. Because life is within us. You're telling the kingdom of God is within us. And Lord, today we are reminded that we can step in into your dwelling place within your presence. To be sanctified to be encouraged, to be healed, Lord, to meet you in a wondrous way again, to glow for you and to be equipped to be remembered that it is because of your Christmas that you dwell within us and that you have put us on a path to be the light of this world. So thank you, Lord, for being our life and being the light in the darkness that tries to capture our soul that is around us and then tries to snuff us out. Today, we need to receive your light afresh and may your truth set us free. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you know this one, you can sing along with us. If not, um, let these words just kind of come through you and pray about how God can use you to go declare. The words of this say, come behold, but it was, Emmy said our job is go declare this. So.